Ben, Ben Avery here from the Comic Book Time Machine. Just to uh, quickly remind you that these following episodes were actually taken from a larger episode and cut up into more easily indexed, smaller portions. So there are going to be times when I talk about, you know, next in this episode or previously in this episode, because originally these were released as long episodes that covered a single month of the comics. A long time ago, on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode number 30, December 1977, Star Wars issue number 6. time travelers it's ben ben avery and i am here to talk about marvel comics from the 70s you're going to set your time machine coordinates to september of 1977 because we're going to buy some comics that are cover dated december of 1977 you know how this works as we take the time machine back in time and look at the comic spinner racks or at the uh the magazine racks at the you know five and dime or the stop shop that's where i used to go back and get my comics back in the late 70s the, the stop shop it was spelled with uh, two p's and an e on both stop and shop if i remember correctly if i don't remember correctly i doubt that uh anyone's going to care because really i really sincerely doubt that someone from sundridge ontario is going to be listening to this podcast let alone someone from sundridge ontario is going to be listening to this podcast and remembering, oh, how did they spell Stop Shop? He's totally wrong. No, they're, they're not going to do that because, you know, people don't do that kind of thing when they have other things to do with their lives. But um, <clears throat> anyway, I'm, I'm here to talk about these comics and you know how it works. Uh, we're going back. We're looking. We're not. Lo- we're, we're skipping over. Spider-Man. We're skipping over Superman. We're skipping over, you know, those traditional superhero things. And we are only buying, as we go back in time, the comic books that were licensed by Marvel Comics that were sci-fi and that were concurrent with Star Wars, which means we are not going to be talking about Tarzan. We're not going to be talking about uh, Conan. Now, with this series, we did go back a little further to talk about 2001 and John Carter. John Carter started the month before Star Wars. Uh, I'm so glad that I allowed for that. And really, it comes down to a, <laughs> a pretty simple thing. And that is, if I were to try and do this with Conan and Tarzan, first of all, I would never be able to stop. I mean, those went on for hundreds of issues. Well, Conan anyway, Tarzan not so much. But the other thing is, if I add too many more books to the list of books that I've already got, you know, planned 
month by month, uh, because that's the other thing we're doing is we're looking at each of these things month by month. So today it's September 1977, the Marvel license books from that month. If we were doing that and we added in Conan and added in Tarzan, uh, man, this episode would be, you know, eight hours long. Well, maybe not that, but uh, now the way this also works is I pull out um, I have a comics long box that I will pull out a bag, a, uh, a comics uh, poly poly bag. And inside that bag is some comics and a little slip of paper that tells me what books we're looking at this month, because some of them, I mean, <clears throat> just a little peek behind the curtain, people. Um, we don't actually have a working time machine. What we do is instead we use other things at our disposal to be able to read these comics. So for this month, I have two omnibuses that I'm reading from, uh, a Marvel Essential that I'm reading from, and I also have the the actual issue that I'm reading from. So what am I reading this month? Well, this month I'm reading Star Wars number six, the final chapter in the movie adaptation. It was on sale September 13th, 1977. Cover price, 35 cents. Crazy, number 32. Why? Well, I'll tell you in a few moments, but uh, it was something when I saw it, it wasn't originally on my list, but when I was going through and reading through all these things, I did check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics to find out the details like the release date and the cover price. And I noticed the cover to Crazy Number 32, and I thought to myself, well, that looks like a Marvel-licensed sci-fi tie-in it wasn't actually licensed because it was it was a parody, uh, so they didn't have to license that. But you know what? It's Marvel. It ties in with what we're talking about. So I went for it. Was I glad that I went for it? Well, we'll find that out later. Godzilla number five is the epic conclusion to the two part story, The Isle of Lost Monsters from September 6th of uh 1977 cover price again 35 cents human fly number four again uh conclusion to what happened started last month uh cover date was december but the the release date was september 6th 1977 also cover price 35 cents and then john carter warlord of mars number seven which is just basically continuing a fantastic run the question is, of course, does it live up to the run? Is this the first misstep with John Carter, Warlord of Mars? Because John Carter, Warlord of Mars did not last as long as Star Wars. There must be a reason for that. I don't know what the reason is. We'll find out as we get later in the book. But frankly, I cannot believe how good John Carter, Warlord of Mars is. And it has sustained it well over this time. There's been some nitpicks here and there and some you know, things that just happened for plot's sake because we needed to get one character removed from the scene or we needed to get another character, you know, back into the story. And so there's plot conveniences that happen. But overall, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. But before we start talking about those things, those those comics here, uh, I do want to give a shout out and a thank you. Uh, I got a mysterious envelope in the mail and there was no name with the return address uh so my my kids were all excited and curious and my wife was a little concerned and uh i opened up the package and this is why i love podcasting frankly i, I should say this is one of the reasons why i love podcasting 
you know, with my Welcome to Level 7 podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Marvel Cinematic Universe, we did do something with Howard the Duck. And I've mentioned talk a few times that I really wish I could read the Howard the Duck novelization. Someone sent it to me. That's pretty fun. That's pretty cool. And a similar thing happened this time. I opened the envelope and there were two comic books inside. Now, you may remember how I said I'd love to see Godzilla number three in color because that's the issue where it's Godzilla versus the champions in San Francisco. And the champions consist of some of my favorite characters, uh, Hercules. I love the Marvel Hercules. I think he's a cool character. Iceman and Angel, who are both from my favorite uh, lineup of the X-Men. And it has a full page splash where Hercules just throws Godzilla by the foot and and flips him over onto his back. And it's audacious. It's big, crazy, fun storytelling. I enjoy it. And sure enough, that was one of them. And then also Godzilla number 12 was in there. And so, yeah, I wow, this was really fun to open up. Now, I did eventually track down who this person was that sent it to me. It wasn't some random person listening to this podcast who somehow got my address through nefarious means or by asking Daniel or something. Uh, it was actually my friend Steve. And so I do want to say publicly now I, I've done it already privately, but publicly. Thanks, Steve. And when I get to issue number 12, I'll get to read it in color and actually maybe even read from the letters page, uh, unlike what I usually do with with Godzilla, which is with from the essential edition, which, again, something I, I I like that I have the essential edition for me. You know, that was a really cheap way to get a hold of all those books. I did find a run of all the Godzilla comics uh, that I could have. Uh, if I had a hundred bucks to to throw down on it, and I just don't have a hundred dollars to throw down on on something that I already own most of. I just it, it'd be for color and for letters pages, and I'm not going to do that. So anyway, the question is, how do these books stand up? We are concluding three different storylines, and we're continuing another that is a continuation of a fantastic, fantastic run. So let's find out and let's get on to the comics. So here we are at part one of the podcast, Star Wars number six, which is the final chapter in the movie adaptation. Uh, And it actually is called the title of this issue is the final chapter. So how well does it wrap things up? Well, I I, I will say this very quickly. I, I do understand what they're facing here as they're facing down the final issue of this story. And that is as a, at a when you're adapting one thing into another thing, especially when you're adapting one thing into another thing that has limitations, like time run, you know, the running time for a movie or for a TV show, or page count for a comic book. I've done this. This is actually kind of the backbone of my career is adapting from you know things from one thing to another thing, usually comics. And in doing that, I have had a few projects. In fact, the project I'm finishing up right now is an adaptation. I'm on the final leg. I've been writing it as we've been going along the art for almost, well, the art, the art for 75% of the project is done, can't be changed. So here I am in writing the final two chapters. And if I can't fit what I need to fit into these final two chapters, I can't just say, oh, I'll just take something out earlier 
No, I have to find how do I compress it now? And that is something that they kind of were facing down here. I don't know how extreme they were. I don't know how far ahead they really had plotted out to find to, to know exactly what they were doing. But um, I can totally relate to being in that situation. So how well then do they do Roy and uh, Howard, Roy Thomas and Howard Chaikin pace things out? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to talk about the cover because, you know, the cover contains one of those classic scenes, you know, just like issue number five had a super classic scene of when, you know, remember when the Death Star was bearing down on the planet and shooting at, you know, the people and uh, Han Solo was telling them it's too late, they're finished. Well, this is another one where it's just this really fantastic scene from the climax of the movie. You remember, it's when Luke Skywalker got out his lightsaber and it was red and he was fighting against Darth Vader with his own lightsaber on this pink and orange planetscape while Princess Leia cowered in the corner of the cover and spaceships were fighting overhead. And it promises, it says, See, Luke Skywalker, battle Darth Vader! At last, the soul-shattering climax? <laughs> soul-shattering? Climax? I, I, okay. Uh, yeah, and then Darth Vader. Today you die, Luke Skywalker. This is your final battle. Oh, uh, I've got issues with this cover. It's not, uh, obviously, I'm being sarcastic about this being my favorite scene from the movie because, well, frankly, it doesn't ever happen in the movie. Luke Skywalker doesn't use a lightsaber as a weapon in this first movie. He never has a chance to. Uh, there is some small indication of a space battle. This entire comic is just one long space battle and then a tag scene at the end. Almost, you know, 80% of this story that you have in this comic takes place in space. But they give us this, I guess, metaphorical conflict between luke skywalker and darth vader <laughs> so yeah one of my favorite scenes because i wish it had happened you know little four-year-old benji avery wanted to see luke skywalker and darth vader cross lightsabers and did so with his little action figures with the sliding lightsaber that would come out of luke skywalker's hand and it would come out of darth vader's hand and they had one on obi-wan kenobi as well I wanted that to happen, so I made it happen. But this cover is pretty ridiculous uh, when it comes down to portraying what actually happens inside, unless you're going to make the case that it's metaphorical. I'm not making the case because it's not metaphorical. This is just meant to sell comics, and, and maybe it did. Maybe it did. Maybe people thought they were going to see some sort of you know different ending. I don't know. I doubt it, but... um. Yeah. So as far as the plot that happens in this comic, um, spoilers for the end of this story. Uh, last issue ended with the uh, X-Wings and Y-Wings flying through space because they're going to confront the Death Star and destroy it. Well, we pick up right at that moment with this one. Uh, they attack. Luke uses the Force, blows up the Death Star, and they have an awards ceremony. So that's the plot of... Issue six of Star Wars. 
the final chapter. And actually, the, the title of the the chapter is actually, is this the final chapter with a, a question mark? But uh, examining the story, there's a lot of text and there is a lot of expositional dialogue. And I'll be honest, there's too much for me. There is too much in this issue. And it's not because I'm not used to it. I mean, I am used to having lots of captions. I still read comics that have lots of captions. And honestly, I write comics that sometimes have lots of captions. But <clears throat> here, I there's there's moments here where there's just too much, too many words. Uh, just let the pictures tell the story. You don't have to explain every single thing, and you don't have to use your flowery language to explain every little thing. And Roy Thomas does a good job of adaptation, and there's some interesting dialogue that gets thrown in there, which I'll, I'll mention in a moment. But uh, what saves this, what saves this from having, if we had the art from issue five and issue four with all this expositional dialogue and captioning, I don't think I would be nearly as forgiving and I don't want to play my hand too soon, but I'm, I'm it's probably going to happen. So I'm just not going to worry about it and not try and keep it a secret. If it comes out, it comes out about was this successful to me because the artwork, it saves this issue. The artwork is actually pretty good. There's lots of motion in the artwork and there's lots of emotion in the artwork and it makes the story work in spite of, the heavy, heavy wordage that's on almost every single page. And uh, the X-Wing fights, I mean, they're, they're, they're flying around, they're zooming around, the TIE fighters are zooming around. There's, uh, you can feel tension. If you didn't know the end of the story, you'd be curious, where is this going? How is this going to work out? Uh, who's going to do what? And, and Darth Vader gets into his... Uh, TIE fighter and it's bad. I mean, it is not a good situation. He is going to uh, create chaos and death and he does. And that actually, um, not that he does this, but that actually brings up a problem I have with this particular uh, adaptation of things. Um, it's a, it's a regular stormtrooper or a regular TIE fighter that, that takes out Porkins. And here's, I have a couple problems with just these two panels. They Star Wars, the movie for me doesn't have too many moments. It really doesn't. I, I don't think I can't think of any moments that really take me out of it to say, oh, well, that was clunky or, oh, well, that doesn't look great or, oh, well, that's kind of cheesy or hammy acting or whatever. Um, it, it just doesn't. The, the dialogue works the whole way through for me. Uh, it's not Shakespeare, but it's not meant to be. And it, it does the job. It tells the story. And and the actors are are serious enough and taking the job serious enough that it, it's good. Although we'll, I've got an interview I'm going to be reading here soon where um, he talks about Harrison Ford and some of the things that are happening on the, the, the set as far as the actors taking it seriously or not. But um, Porkins gets attacked. And, and, you know, Porkins is one of the guys who gets killed in the the Death Star attack. So me reading this now, it's no surprise that he's going to die. But as I'm watching it, uh, he gets shot by his, his, his X-Wing gets shot. And he there's the dialogue goes, Porkins, do you read? Eject, eject, 
eject? What is he supposed to do? Eject into space? They don't have um, spacesuits on. They don't have any kind of, of uh, sealed suit. There is no ejecting in space. It's just not going to happen. So Porkins already, I mean, poor guy's name. I mean, I have a Porkins action figure, actually, and he's just so dumpy. And he's just got a, you know, he's got a, well, he's actually similar to my build. But um, so they, he's called Porkins already. But then uh, Biggs, he has an emotional reaction to this. And he's just, uh, he's thinking, and, and this is what he says. So long, piggy. You will be avenged. Any seriousness, any emotion, any goodwill that I've given this up until this page just kind of flutters away a little bit. This this pulls me out. You know, this is one of those things. So long, piggy. So they have piggies a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And OK, not I mean, this is a nitpick, you know, the, the whole do they have pigs there or not? Just calling him piggy. Uh, the guy's name is already Porkins. You know where he gets his name. His name is or, or gets this nickname. His name is Porkins and he's fat. So they call him Piggy. And not only that, they call him Piggy in a moment of crisis and sorrow and sadness. So long, Piggy. You will be avenged. So, like I said, minor nitpick there, but I'm going to go ahead and make the nit and pick it. Uh, another thing that <clears throat> just kind of didn't really. Uh, it didn't really connect with me the way they did this, and that is that, you know, in the movie, Ben just starts talking to Luke. Luke hears it and does the stuff and trusts, you know, his feelings and trusts Ben Kenobi, who is now you know, speaking through the force or whatever. But um, in in this, <laughs> Luke Skywalker, he, he loses um, the central computer. He, he's out of control, out of connection with them. So he's going to have to aim the torpedoes manually. It's not as accurate. But then Ben says, no, trust your feelings, Luke. Huh? Who? Captions read, it's a young old voice, which sounds in his ears, a familiar voice, a voice at once calm, confident, contented, and reassuring Ben Ben Kenobi then maybe he wasn't killed by Darth Vader's lightsaber after all maybe he merged somehow with the force and he's here with me in spirit right now then maybe there's a chance for us at that even against Darth Vader and the Death Star just clunk exposition just clunky clunky exposition you don't have to explain all that stuff and in fact, as we've learned from the prequel trilogies, the less you explain with some of that, the better. You know, let the mystery be there. Ben, Ben Kenobi, but but he's dead. How am I hearing it? You know, something like that. I mean, I wouldn't go with that dialogue exactly, but man, it's still better than what they had there. And one more final little nitpick. It just is so weird. And maybe it's weird because I know, I mean, I'm not... I'm not steeped in steeped seeped. I'm not deep heavy into the uh, uh, the the uh, ex uh, the extended universe, the EU canon of Star Wars. And so maybe they've done something with this. Uh, 
but for me, what I do know that I don't think there's anything that has anything to do with this line of dialogue that Darth Vader says is he's getting ready to shoot Luke Skywalker out of the sky before Luke commit, take the shot to destroy the death star. And then his tie fighter gets hit. It's a millennium Falcon flying in and Darth Vader says, as his ship is almost, uh, he hasn't gotten hit yet. Uh, Cause what's happened is uh millennium Falcon is going to come. It'll shoot one of the tie fighters. It'll veer off and hit his. And when he sees this happen, as as the other TIE fighter gets hit, he says, By the immortal gods of the Sith! By the immortal gods of the Sith. It just feels weird. And and I think it partly become comes from, I don't think the Sith actually believe in gods. Mortal or otherwise. But anyway, those are minor nitpicks. Like I said, the artwork carries this. And it's not... I mean, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. The Death Star's explosion looks so neat. It is cosmic comic storytelling at its best as far as like just that functional. It's just an explosion in space. And how are we going to make this look cool? And it looks so neat. And then Luke Skywalker's X-Wing fighter is kind of coming out from the center of it. It looks so good. What doesn't? do so well there's then six boxes of die of captions six boxes explaining that no one looks directly at it because it's so bright and it give you permanent blindness and the universe seems filled for an instant with trillions of microscopic metal fragments and i just look at this page and think to myself let the page sit let the page rest or at the very least maybe on the previous page say, and then the greatest technological achievement the empire has ever created after one photon torpedo next page, just say dies or something like that. But they don't, they don't let it sit. They, they let it go. Oh, but it's so good. I, I can forgive that. I'm just not interested in reading all of those captions. And then of course there is the, uh, the end ceremony scene which by the way the end ceremony scene this is one thing that the caption boxes actually give to me and that is why didn't chewy get a medal now i have two problems with the ceremony here at the end first of all wedge who actually survived the battle you know he didn't shoot and and destroy the death star but he was there with luke the entire time wedge should be up there getting a medal as well. And anyone else, like whoever's riding that Y-Wing or whatever. Han and Chewie, they show up at the last minute, shoot once, and they get a medal. So what about Wedge, who risked his life and almost died? He didn't, but he almost did. So if they give one to Luke, they should give one, and Han, they should give one to Wedge. And if they give one to Luke and Han, they should give one to Chewie. But it actually says here, that and again, this is nice little expansion here. Chewbacca the Wookiee 2 will have his own medal, but he will have to put it on himself. Few space princesses are that tall. So there you have it. Why didn't he get a medal? Because Princess Leia, it wasn't tall enough to put it over his head. There it is. I like it. It's simple. 
And I don't know if Roy Thomas was just having the same question that, you know, so many other people have, why didn't Chewie get a medal? And he just decided, you know what? We'll explain it like this. Or if it was just something that was in the script, I don't know. I'm glad it's there. That's kind of fun. So then the final captions of the book, it says what the future holds for these six daring souls, only time and the space wins. No, but for today, for now, they are content. Next issue, a new adventure of the Star Warriors. And I am actually pretty excited about what this new adventure for the Star Warriors will be. We are getting to territory here I'm vaguely familiar with, but that I have never really explored. And this is honestly why I'm doing this series for this podcast is to get into this new stuff and actually read through these comics that I wanted to read when I was a kid. And I'm excited about Star Wars right now. I know this stuff is not going to tie in to anything new they're doing with Star Wars from here until the end of whatever. I know. I don't care because I'm going to have fun. I'm already having fun. I'm going to have some more. So speaking of fun, I do want to uh, revisit then uh, Roy Thomas's article that he wrote uh, how I learned to stop worrying and love Star Wars with reservations for alter ego number 68 because the art here is rushed. Yes. And it's cluttered. Yes. I mean, there's lots of panels on the page. It's crammed with story. Absolutely. Um, and Howard Chaikin, he is uh, credited as artist and storyteller. Roy Thomas is credited as a writer and editor. And then you have Rick Hoberg and Bill Ray, who are credited as embellishers. And I'm going to say right now, these guys are the heroes here. Now, if this issue had not looked good, it wouldn't have mattered. Star Wars was such a huge hit. Issue six of the Star Wars comic book is not going to cause anyone to say, I'm not going to read issue seven. If you were interested enough to read issue six, you're probably going to read issue seven. You're not going to change your opinion on whether or not you're going to pick up these later stories because you want more Star Wars. I wanted more Star Wars. I know a lot of people did. That's why they did the comic book. That's why they did some of the tie in novels. That's why they had uh, <laughs> the Star Wars holiday special. Less said about that, probably the better. But the bottom line is, I believe that Rick Hoberg and Bill Ray are the heroes for this issue. And they actually were involved in the article that Roy Thomas wrote. If you've listened to previous uh, episodes of this series, then you know that Roy Thomas wrote an article that was about all of his experiences with the Star Wars franchise as it was in its infancy. And then he also reached out to some of the artists and collaborators who worked on these first six issues with him. So one of them was Rick Hoberg. And Rick Hoberg, he was the uh, guy who finished the pencils. So he took these sketch outline stuff that Chaikin did, and he turned it into finalized art. And so he wrote into uh, Roy Thomas to give uh, talk about his experiences a little bit. And he he said basically he was really excited because it was an early opportunity for him to contribute to the comic book adaptation of this movie that he liked. And he was a fanboy who loved Roy Thomas. And so this assignment, then he says, 
uh, I'm quoting now here, allowed for visits to Lucas's offices at Universal to acquire photo references of the props, characters, and backgrounds of Star Wars. I only went there a couple of times, but on one memorable visit, I was left waiting for an assistant to find the reference that I needed, and I was sitting with a young actor who I knew was portraying a space pirate named Han Solo in the movie. Harrison Ford was waiting around for a photo shoot or something, so we started talking, and I remember thinking, this guy is just a regular Joe. Uh, Carpenter, trying to establish his career as a professional actor, much like I was trying to make my way as a struggling cartoonist. He was very personable and more than willing to chat about Star Wars. I remember telling Harrison that how much I was looking forward to seeing this film, which he was starring in, and that I thought it might be a huge hit. He scoffed at this and told me he was sure it was just another B-sci-fi film with terribly corny dialogue. He went on and on about acting in front of the blue screen, not knowing what they were supposed to be seeing. He continued on relating that the only way he and the other group of novice actors portraying the heroes could keep any semblance of seriousness during the shoot was because of the presence of Alec Guinness. Harrison related that Guinness was a complete professional on set and that he and the other young actors, Hamill and Fisher, continually worried about making fools of themselves in front of this great thespian. So they followed his lead, trying to believe everything they were doing, learning from a great master that acting is make believe in which you really believe. Upon seeing the final film, one can see that having Guinness in the Kenobi role was a true stroke of genius on Lucas's part. Sir Alec not only created Obi-Wan, he helped create Luke, Leia, Han and all the other characters in that galaxy long ago and far, far away. And so that's a little you know, neat little sidebar. But then you have uh, Bill Ray goes by William, I guess, because that's the way they list him here. <clears throat> and he talks about how excited he was about getting this job as well to work on Star Wars issue six. He says, this was a momentous week for Rick and me getting the job from Roy for Rick to pencil over Howard Chaikin's layouts and myself to ink Star Wars number six was the moment that really got us into comics. We love the movie and we're overjoyed to have a shot at the comic book. Chaikin's pencils were not even layouts and kudos to Rick for doing the full job. We had about five days to do the book and I was a slow inker trying my best to be as lovingly slick and detailed as Dave Stevens. Dave inked a few pages to help us and those are the highlights of the book as he redid them his as he redid them his meticulous way. I was so behind on my own end that even Rick inked a page or two and my dad did some background headlining. After staying up for five days, we delivered it in person to Roy's Hollywood pad, confident that the kudos, confident of the kudos to come. We knew it was a good job under the circumstances. Roy answered the door in his bathrobe, hurriedly mumbled a thank you and closed the door in our faces. That was pretty anticlimactic, but we didn't hold it against him. We were still happy and proud of the book. And so then Roy actually uh, has a a brief uh, response to that. He says, sorry about that, Bill. I should have been more gracious knowing as I did of yours, Rick's and Dave's heroic efforts. Maybe I just gotten up or had company of the female persuasion. Anyway, if I neglected to tell you at the time, you, Rick and Dave did a superb job under trying circumstances. And so that's really nice there. I mean, I, obviously, Bill Ray doesn't hold anything against Roy Thomas. Uh, I can just picture that uh, that scene. And honestly, I would love to see a movie about the making of the Star Wars comic. I would love to see a movie about Roy Thomas and Howard Jake and working on this and just getting the job done. I doubt it will happen, but reading the article is a good consolation prize now roy thomas does have more to say about his experiences on star wars however uh that's gonna have to wait until issue seven because it 
talks a lot about issue seven. He doesn't really get into much detail other than what we we see here about issue six, the ending of that Star Wars uh, movie storyline. He does have a lot to say about his first couple of chapters of the comic book after the movie was done and some of the responses to that. But uh, for now, overall, I think this this thing works. And what I'm excited about here is, and I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out based on our uh, scheduling that we have right now, but I am really excited because there is a book coming out that is actually a remastered edition of the movie comic issues. Uh, remastered, when I, when I say that, the coloring is made to look more realistic, more like a modern coloring job. I don't think it changes anything with the captions or anything like that, but uh, it will be coming and and I will probably do an episode about that. And uh, I, I don't know it, when this episode is going to come out. I'm thinking this episode is going to come out in early May, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it out before May the 4th, which is when that uh, that volume comes out. The other thing is right now, Star Wars comics, the Marvel Star Wars comics, they're on Marvel Unlimited. They just uploaded a ton of Star Wars stuff and some of the Marvel, the classic Marvel comics are are part of that. So if you want to read these things, it, it just became that much easier for you to do so. So uh, it's time to move on to crazy, though, because, well... I don't think it's too crazy my reasons for doing it. However, I don't think it's also going to take very long to talk about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, what Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, Crazy Magazine, issue number 32.